On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news and information, some recent survey experiences, and our new patron website. And in our focus segment, we will review the 2023 final CMS payment rule and the updates to the Medicare Quality Reporting Program. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. And Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 174 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for November 15th, 2022, recording from Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC podcast with John Gailey and a Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. The ASC regulatory environment is extremely dynamic and the material provided in this episode is based on information available as of the date of the recording. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. He is recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So we are uh, supposedly on vacation down here in in Hilton Head. We're in a nice little condo with our fancy uh, new uh, board set up here. She's, you should see, she's giving me that evil eye look <laughs> as uh, we're trying to get used to this new setup here. It's not like being in the studio where all the equipment kind of does everything itself here. The, this is a little bit more confusing. I always just do the same thing. I sit in front of a microphone. <laughs> you have to deal with all the other stuff. But That's this right. looks like it's much more intuitive and it's very colorful. And it is very easy colorful. to transport way easier than the. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot less thing. equipment to take with us, but we are, we're down here for about 12 days and uh, trying to run a business at the same time that we're uh, enjoying the, the weather. We got here just uh, after that second hurricane hit. In Florida, but it didn't affect us really at all. But uh, we're trying to get caught up on uh, some of our podcasts. We have about three podcasts we're hoping to get out in the next three or four days here. Uh, This one, we're going to talk about the 2023 payment rule. The next one will be on pharmacy uh, because we haven't talked about that in a while. And after that, we're going to, we thought we'd do an episode, Sue, on recalls because we really haven't talked about that. And there's been quite a number of questions about that recently. Yep. And I wanted to say happy perioperative nurses week this week. And uh, we're, we're trying to, to recognize all of the different health care groups that uh, seems like every week there's a, a different group. So this week it is perioperative nurses week. Yep. Congratulations to hopefully everybody, all of your employers are treating you well this week. So we've been doing an awful lot of uh, changes to the uh, the website. We up, uh, updated the uh, 
the ASC podcast website about two or three weeks ago, and uh, it looks really sharp now. It very uh, snappy. It looks a little bit more modern than it did before. We really hadn't updated it in almost three years, so yeah. it was well overdue for that. So please uh, make sure you go up and visit. the. Uh, there's some new content up there, and certainly the links to uh, the, the various uh, um, podcasts are a little bit easier to follow now. And also, we are making some major changes to our patron website. Uh, that's better known as ASC Central. So uh, those of you that are patron members, and we encourage everyone to become a patron member, but patron members are able to access a, a lot of different resources on the website. And uh, over the next couple of weeks and going into December, we're going to be uh, opening this uh, new patron website up to all of our existing patron members and hopefully all the, the new ones that join us uh, soon. And probably one of the biggest uh, things that uh, we did is we opened up a new member group on LinkedIn. So I was uh, looking at the the various groups on LinkedIn, and I was trying to find one for uh, ambulatory surgery center nurses, and uh, I didn't see any. Uh, yep. So I just created you one. made your own. So uh, if you are uh, following me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, name is John, J-O-H-N Gailey, G-O-E-H-L-E. Follow me on LinkedIn, and you'll be able to see the new uh, you have to ask to become a member of uh, of this new group, but it's called the ASC Directors of Nursing and Nursing Managers Group, and we're posting a lot of information there. Uh, I've been trying to, you know, throw content in there. Hopefully, other people will start throwing content in there also. Uh, but you have to ask to become a, a member. I, I'm approving everybody. Just keep an eye out for that new group, and we'll we'll put a link to it in, in our show notes here also. So let's uh, let's look at some of the recent news. Probably uh, one of the I mean, even though this doesn't impact surgery centers directly, physicians have uh, been uh, quite vocal in their frustration with the new Medicare physician fee schedule, which was released about the same time the CMS, uh, ASC, and HOPD rates were re- released in November, early November. Unfortunately, these uh, the new physician fee schedule will reduce uh, the reimbursement to physicians by about 4.5% almost. And this is going to have, unfortunately, some impact on the Medicare population as physicians are, are reimbursed less for taking care of Medicare patients. The decrease is primarily due to the expiration of the 3% payment increase that was provided for in the, in the 2022 payment uh, schedule uh, that was passed by Congress earlier in uh, 2022. And also because of some changes in the evaluation and management of the current procedural technology codes. So uh, I think, as I said, I don't think this is have it has a direct impact on surgery mm-hmm. centers, but certainly physicians are are going to be looking for other sources of revenue, and that usually means that they're going to looking looking to the surgery centers for that revenue. But it definitely could also have an impact on the uh, Medicare population and the availability of surgical services to the Medicare population. So I have some not very hard hitting news for my first item. <laughs> but I thought it was funny, you know it. Any nurses out there know that we're always afraid to say, oh, it's a slow day or, oh, it's kind of really quiet today because we really believe that it's going to suddenly we're going to, you know, the worst things are going to happen. But there actually have been several studies that were done, which I think that's the most interesting part of it is that I just can't believe people actually They're did actually studies. Doing studies, yeah. But they did, and they did find out that it does not actually increase your your. Um, amount of patients. So I don't think that any of us are going to be convinced. I think we're going to still stay superstitious, but they actually did have some um, surveyor or not survey. They actually did have some um, investigators or, you know, researchers that went in um, to different healthcare facilities 
And they would either use the word like, oh, you're, you know, you're very quiet today. Or they would just go in and say, hey, how are you doing? And then they kind of watched and saw what happened. So it has been proven that it's not going to. Okay. Well, after that uh, hard hitting news there, (laughs) but uh, very interesting news, certainly. Uh, What's going on with this uh, family that uh, was awarded a big dollar amount? Yeah, this was, this was actually very sad. So a family was awarded $21 million after a healthy 27 year old man was left in a vegetative state following surgery for a fractured shin at a Dallas medical center. His blood pressure um, during the surgery had dropped while under a general anesthesia, which resulted in a lack of oxygen to his brain. The lawsuit alleged that the CRNA who provided anesthesia to the patient was being supervised by an anesthesiologist who was also supervising three other CRNAs at the same time who were all in Different OIRs, of course. Which, which is a very common situation, even in the ASC setting. Yeah. You know, that they would be supervising three to four uh, CRNAs at the same time. Yeah, and it does say, you know, this this practice is allowed mm-hmm. in Texas, according to um, the policies of the anesthesia group. The patients, however, sh- according to their policies, should have been informed that they had a choice of either an anesthesiologist or a supervised CRNA. Um, and they also noted that, Although it's allowed, it's really not the best or safest care option. They didn't feel that the patients were properly informed um, and the consent. So that's something that we often end up talking about is, you know, you have to make sure that people know who's um, providing their care and, and how that's being done. So might be a good point to kind of reemphasize what an informed consent for mm-hmm. anesthesia should include. And that should be not only the actual care provider, what type of uh, you know, whether they're a physician or a CRNA, their name, uh, as well as the type of anesthesia that's being provided. So that's something I've been finding recently on surveys is that we're not finding that all these anesthesia consents actually include the actual anesthesia that's being administered, mm-hmm. or there might be a checkbox that's not checked, mm-hmm. uh, or it just, it gives a whole list of the different types of anesthesia that might be provided, but it is required that you actually have the patient sign off on the specific anesthesia that they're going to receive, as well as, as this lawsuit pointed out, who's providing that anesthesia yeah. service. And it was just, it was so sad. The patient actually had come to the U.S. from Venezuela, and he had almost completed his engineering school. Um, he was working at a job hanging Christmas lights when he fell off a ladder and fractured his shin. So, you know, this should have just been a very quick surgery, and now he's in four-hour care. So it's yeah. just think about let's talk a bit about some of our uh, recent experiences as we always talk about we always uh, have interesting conversations during mm-hmm. our uh, saturday sessions with our uh, patron members and again if you're interested in becoming a patron member ascpodcast.com but anyway the recent saturday session the question came up about uh, food and drink in the uh, clinical area mm-hmm. and uh, the person uh, the question the, the question was asked where can um, staff members keep their coffee or their water or their food? And the answer is not in the clinical space at all. We did uh, point out that if you were able to locate a section of your clinical space where there is no uh, patient drugs, patient foods, patient interaction at all, you could have water there, you know, in a, in a closed container. Again, it has to be a closed container, but no coffee, no food at all, uh, other than the food and uh, the beverages for the, the, um, uh, the patients. Uh, and that is another situation that I'm finding, unfortunately, quite frequently when I do a survey or, or even a mock survey now. And one of the 
people on our Saturday session had mentioned that you could use a cart if you have a, you know, an empty area that meets all the criteria that you were just talking about, but you don't have, you know, a, a spot there, a, a counter or whatever. You could maybe get a cart that you keep covered and, and roll it uh, there. into an area that's not being used at that yep. time. Yep. And Sue, I did a, a survey a couple weeks ago, which I thought, uh, found a couple things. I always learn something during surveys, but this one was particularly interesting. It was a survey that I did in Pennsylvania and it was for a GI center and they were using a system called GI Genius. Now I don't generally like talking about specific brand names, but uh, this appears to be one of the major products out there. Uh, that is a, it's an artificial intelligence that's used to identify uh, polyps uh, in a colonoscopy feed. So it's an intelligent endoscopy module connected to the internet and feeding a live image of the colon uh, from the, uh, the colonoscopy and comparing it to a very large database on the internet of polyps. And it helps to identify polyps that might be missed. And it puts a, a green box around a suspected polyp. Uh, it was just fascinating to me. I, I mean, I've seen hundreds of colonoscopies in my life, and this is the first time I've seen this artificial intelligence used. And I, I will say most of the ones that they I, that the system identified ended up not being a polyp. There was one that was identified as a polyp, uh, but the rest of them were not. But it, it still, it provided the physician with kind of another eye there to keep an eye out for things that he might have missed uh, as he's, you know, kind of quickly going through the colon. So the physician is al is also watching this image this machine just sort of like focuses on, okay, take a look at this Correct. thing. Oh, Instead of uh, what you're, you know, generally in a colonoscopy, mm -hmm. you have a television image of the colon yeah. and you, you know, you have to identify those polyps there. And, you know, over time I've gotten to the point where I can actually see one too. And I don't know much about this, um, but those can be awful small. And, and if somebody's uh, tired, they've done yeah. a whole lot of them. I could see where you could kind of, you know, just, it could blur in your mind, you know, for a minute. So that having that focus has got to well, be really and, helpful. And also being able to, in real time, do it as you're quickly moving through. Mm -hmm. I mean, they look mm -hmm. several times at each of the areas of the colon, uh, but this picks it up uh, quite readily. I, I was I was very impressed with it. And uh, I, I heard that it's not an extraordinarily expensive system, and I believe it's still in a, in a testing phase right now, but definitely something that I would imagine is going to become a standard of care in the future. And then the second thing that I saw there really... I guess it doesn't take much to amuse me um, or, or impress me yes. is that they were using uh, a language line insight video interpreting, which is a rolling station with a camera, microphone, and a small television screen for a remote interpreter. So they, you know, through the internet, they connect to a remote interpreter, live person who is, uh, in this case, it was sign language. They were doing a live signing and the patient could see uh, the, the interpreter and the interpreter could see the patient and, uh, in real time, they were uh, they were doing the interpreting, which is so much better than just that telephone, which has been uh, yeah. you know the hallmark of the, the language line system. And they claim that they have over forty different uh, languages that they can uh, pretty much instantly uh, start communicating with your patients with. So, do they do use the visual if it's not a deaf patient, or was that just because the patient uh, was deaf? It was well in this situation. It 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 could be either for a deaf patient. It happened to be a, a deaf patient in this situation. But also the, the point that the uh, that language line makes is that it is so much better to not just hear hear a, a voice, you know, to actually see a person uh, when you're doing the interpretation. Okay, so even with just other languages, they do have Correct. the person 
right there on the screen. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it, you know, you, you pick up visual cues mm-hmm. that you might not Absolutely. pick up on the telephone. So yep. very impressed with, I have no idea about pricing of this, but, uh, and, and the instant availability of this interpreter compared to, you know, back in the day that I was running surgery centers, we would have to arrange for an interpreter, you know, a couple of weeks beforehand, that person would show up, you'd have to suit them up, you know, it, all the, all the different things you have to do. And this rolling cart just followed that patient throughout the whole episode. So uh, definitely an incredible new technology there. And I'm sure there's other competitors out there that are going to be doing the same thing or perhaps are already doing the same thing, but keep an eye out for that. And again, it probably is important to remind everyone that you are required to provide an interpreter uh, to patients that come into your center if they do not speak the language of the the care of the providers. Uh, and it is not the standard anymore. It's not really uh, appropriate for you to use a family member for interpretation. Uh, that is, uh, that's, that hasn't been the case for well over five, six years now. So it's just uh, something to remember is that you are responsible for either providing somebody that can speak the language to the patient in medical terms uh, or to provide an interpreter to do that. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the 2023 final payment rule from CMS. It's been a long day and the surveyor has just left and you are exhausted and looking at the list of items that you have to address. You wonder, how can I deal with this and still take care of my patients? More importantly, you wonder, how can I ever keep up with all the regulations, standards, and accreditation requirements? How can I always be prepared for a survey and reduce my stress levels? Well, that's what Ambitory Healthcare Strategies does, day in, day out. We become your outsourced regulatory and accreditation resource. We can maintain your policy manual, develop your education programs, help out with fire and disaster drills, do your risk assessments, oversee your quality improvement activities, help run your quality improvement meetings and governing body meetings, and we can even prepare your monthly or quarterly financial statements and help you figure out where you are financially. We are a retainer-based service. We don't take ownership. We don't charge based on your revenue. We have one fixed monthly fee, and we can tailor your services to your exact needs. So whether you're looking for help getting over a survey, preparing for a survey, or looking for a long-term relationship to assist you with your ongoing regulatory and or financial needs, please give us a call at 585-594-1167 or email us at info at ahstrategies.com. That is info at ah-strategies.com or visit our website at ah-strategies.com. So in uh, early November, the final 2023 payment rule, CMS payment rule for hospital outpatient departments and ambulatory surgery centers was released. Uh, We're going to provide a link in the website to on our show notes to the the full information about that. Let's start by talking about how the Medicare CMS ambulatory surgery center reimbursement works. So the current system that we have in place has been in place since 2008. And in 2008, they adapted this APC-based payment system, which is the same system that's used for the hospital outpatient departments, or HOPDs. Unfortunately, we don't get paid the same reimbursement rate that a hospital outpatient department gets paid. We get paid eh, almost half 
of what the hospitals get paid. And the reason for that is there's a presumption that hospitals take on much more complicated patients or patients that have uh, a higher acuity level. So the way the payment rule works is the proposal comes out in July of each year. And that um, and we talked about the, the proposed uh, payment rule in July in an episode in July. And that provides some guidance to the industry as to what, the, what CMS is considering uh, for the final payment rule. And then it's subject to a open period for discussion where uh, the industry uh, provides feedback to CMS and then CMS takes that feedback and then determines uh, whether they're going to accept some of the changes that are proposed or finalize the rule. And then the final rule, as we know, comes out in approximately November, as we have seen here. And what the impact of this is that it sets the Medicare reimbursement rates for the following year. So in this case, 2023. Payment rates are often used by other insurance companies as well as Medicare managed care providers. So even if you don't take care of Medicare patients, the payment rule is a very important part of your uh, reimbursement cycle. It also establishes the parameters for the Medicare Quality Reporting Program. And we've talked about that program, Sue, over the last year quite a bit uh, and, and the impact of it. There weren't many changes in 2023, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But basically, the important thing to understand about the Medicare Quality Reporting Program, or EASCQR, is that as long as you do all of the things that are required under the Medicare Quality Reporting Program, you'll get your full increase in your reimbursement rate, the Medicare rate. Otherwise, Medicare is going to reduce your increase by 2%. So, for example, this year, as you'll as we'll talk about in a second, the increase was going to be about 3.8%. If you did not meet all the requirements for the Medicare Quality Reporting Program, meaning that you reported all of the elements uh, for the 2023 payment year in 2021, it's always two years back, uh, then your reimbursement rate will be 1.8% instead of 3.8%. Now, there's another thing that we need to note, and that is that this is a very complicated system. And even though I've, as we're going to talk about in a second, the reimbursement rate goes up by 3.8%, it is not a across-the-board increase. The increase will be different depending upon the results of the cost reports that are filed by the hospitals. Ambulatory surgery centers don't file cost reports, and therefore our information is not actually used in the reimbursement system. But the hospital cost reports are used to uh, realign the acuity levels of each of the CPTs that are included in the APC-based reimbursement system. So we should mention that there are some states that require cost reports because I know they're a big pain, and I'm sure any New York <laughs> state listeners are saying, wait a minute. We don't do cost reports, right? Yeah. As, as Sue just pointed out, the state of New York is the only state actually that requires cost reports to be complete, or at least comprehensive cost reports that look very similar to the Medicare cost reports. But the New York State Medicaid cost report is not used as part of this reimbursement system at all. So again, this is a complicated system every year. Based upon the adjustments in the acuity levels, your case reimbursement could go up or could go down, even though the uh, the average increase is about 3.8%. So let's talk about the new payment rule. So CMS just published the rule in no on November 1st, and it will be in effect on January 1st, 2023. The Medicare reimbursement rate was increased by 3.8%, which was actually 4.1% inflation-based rate uh, based upon the hospital market basket with a reduction of 0.3% mandated by the Affordable Care Act, coming down to 3.8%. So this is particularly disappointing because, as we are well aware, uh, the uh, in consumer uh, price index went up by about 8% in 2022. 
and continues to keep increasing or continues to go up. And we're not expecting that inflation rate to decrease until somewhere in, well into 2023. So this is going to make it con- this is going to continue to make it very challenging to offer pay raises to your staff. And and of course that we know that that, that wage inflation is one of our major challenges in keeping and recruiting staff at this time, as well as the uh, the average cost or the increases that we're going to be experiencing or already are experiencing with drugs and other supplies. And ASCA had proposed that 47 procedures would be added, but only four were actually added in the end. And and one was actually proposed in July. Mm-hmm. So we went from one to four, but we wanted 47. So we're very disappointed at those results. I should note that the CPT codes are copyrighted the American Medical Association. All rights are reserved. CPT is a registered trademark of the American Medical Association. So Sue, why don't you tell us the lucky four procedures that were added? Okay. CPT code 19307, which is a mastectomy procedure. Um, code 37193, which is per- percutaneous placement repositioning or retrieval of inferior vena cava IVC filters. 38531, inguinofemoral node biopsy or excision. 43774, which is laparoscopy, surgical gastric restrictive procedure, removal of adjustable gastric restrictive device and subcutaneous port components. So we are appreciative of the four that we're at, and they are actually pretty uh, interesting cases. I'm not sure how frequently they're done uh, in a surgery center at this point, but a very disappointing year, probably one of the smallest um, addition number of additions in this year. And then uh, Bill Prentice had a interesting quote about this, which uh, kind of uh, summarized our whole feeling about these new codes. Go ahead, Sue. So to quote him, um, CMS's decision to add only four new procedures to the ASC CPL For 2023, after ASCA proposed 47 procedures that ASCs are performing safely and successfully for privately insured patients is a serious mistake and denies beneficiary access to high-value care. Forcing otherwise healthy Medicare beneficiaries to receive care in higher-cost settings for these procedures needlessly increases costs to the Medicare program and undercuts Medicare's mission of serving as a responsible steward of public funds. And uh, of course, uh, we've talked to Bill a couple times, uh, a couple episodes ago, uh, we, uh, we discussed with him his thoughts on this whole thing. And again, please, we really want to uh, make sure we emphasize the importance of becoming a member of the ASC Association. That's at ASCassociation.org. Uh, they did a wonderful job. And even though they only got four of them through, they, they got four of them through as opposed to, uh, you know, the one that CMS had originally proposed. Yeah. And then CMS is finalizing separate payment in the ASC setting for five non-opioid pain management drugs that function as surgical supplies, including certain local anesthetics and ocular medications. And the approved drugs and biologicals are those used in ASCs that are FDA-approved, have an FDA-approved indication for pain management or as an analgesic, and have a per-day cost above the OPPS drug packaging threshold. By the way, those words are directly out of the CMS um, uh, final payment rule. I don't necessarily know what they mean, uh, but what it what it really is getting down to is that uh, more information to come on which drugs and how much they're going to be reimbursed. And we're hoping that this is going to help pay for some of these medications, but you need to make sure that your billing department is well aware of this information as soon as that becomes widely available. So um, just pass this uh, this news on to them and let them look it up. And Sue, why don't we talk about Medicare Quality Reporting or ASCQR? So the 2023 payment rule does not include 
a requirement to track cataracts, improvement in patients' visual function within 90 days. As you're aware, this would be very burdensome. For now, this is just voluntary, and the ASC Association continues to work with CMS to explain how this would not be an appropriate quality measure for ASC. So that's, that was quite a relief. It, it was. And, and again, it has not, they, they're, they're still holding it off. It's voluntary. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine anybody voluntarily wanting to report this right now. Uh, and please don't. I, I mean, I think it's important as an industry that we stick to our guns and indicate that this is a very burdensome one. And it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the surgery center. This is a, if, if this is going to be a quality measure, it should be a quality measure that's put on the physicians themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're the ones that have control over this. Once the patient leaves the surgery center, we don't see them. Certainly, no, we don't be see so them 90 days later. Yeah. Get this information. There were no other changes to the Medicare quality reporting requirements, which I guess is important to note that that also means that the OAS CAP system or the, the Medicare patient satisfaction component has been held off until at least 2025. So we don't have to worry about implementing that program. Though, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, it is important for you to start looking into uh, you know, uh, signing up with one of the approved CMS providers of these CAPS programs. And we're going to provide a link to the uh, the full CMS fact sheet as well as the other information that came out as part of the 2023 payment rule. And with that, let's take a short break and we'll come back and talk about some of the things that are going on uh, in the industry. In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking engagements for John and his staff, and other events in the ASC industry. And our ASC Administrators Boot Camp for Administrators Ambulatory Surgery Centers and those looking to become CAST certified uh, will be January 24th through the 27th, 2023. For more information about that and all the benefits of uh, joining on our boot camp, uh, visit ASCpodcast.com. And ASCA's 2023 Winter Seminar is January 12th through the 14th at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'll be heading out there to do a whole morning on uh, finance and accounting. There's kind of like a mini boot camp, I would say, for uh, finance and accounting at that conference. So for more information on ASCA 2023's Winter Seminar, visit ASCassociation.org. AORN's Global Surgical Conference and Expo 2023 is April 1st through the 4th at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center in San Antonio, Texas. And ASCA 2023 Conference and Expo is May 17th through the 20th, 2023 at the Kentucky International Convention Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'll be doing, I think, three uh, speeches there, and, uh, and Lori will be down there also with us as well as quite a number of staff from the Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies Group. So definitely visit ASCassociation.org to sign up for ASCA 2023. And also don't forget about our recorded events. They're all available on ASCpodcast.com. We have a credentialing conference that we recorded in 2020. It was a full day conference talking about how to do credentialing, provider credentialing in an ambulatory surgery center. And then in uh, fall of 2022, we did a finance, accounting, and reimbursement conference, which is now available. We also did a uh, conditions for coverage conference. The recording's available uh, for, uh, we recorded that in 2021. It's a really good conference, Sue, right, for uh, explaining the, all of the conditions for coverage. We're, we're going to uh, have to re-record that soon. 
And then also in 2021, we did a medical director conference, which talked uh, to medical directors about the responsibilities that they have, particularly uh, during a survey and, and what their responsibilities are as a medical director. And don't forget about our on-demand version of our Director of Nursing and Administrators Boot Camps. Those are uh, newly revised and they're available on our website at ASCPodcast.com. And again, let's remind everyone to become a patron member of the podcast. Patron members help support our efforts here in maintaining this free podcast. And for uh, $25 a month, you get a whole host of benefits. The patron program is also known as ASC Central. As we indicated, there is a brand new website for it. uh, And it's an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. The uh, resources that are available include virtual conferences, links to various resources, policies, and procedures, forms, drills, Uh, and other information, as well as access to free AEU credits just for listening to the podcast. And probably the most important part and the the benefit that everybody seems to enjoy is those Saturday drop-in sessions where you can uh, meet uh, via a private Zoom link uh, with other patron members and talk about things that are going on. We usually talk at least an hour, sometimes an hour and a half uh, every Saturday morning. It's not every single Saturday, but uh, it certainly has been for at least the last couple months. And membership does help defray the cost of producing the podcast, including our research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and the production costs. And for more information, of course, you can visit ASCPodcast.com. And that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Galen. Please spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Calaritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Foti, Donna Macchio, and Ann Geyer. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, Trivalence, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Surgical Information Systems provides cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable insights. Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies is the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.